Welcome to Scary Bedtime Stories. I'm your host, Jose, and I will be your guide, your Morpheus into the world of dreams. The goal of this podcast is to help you fall asleep by relaxing you, taking your restless mind off your problems, and help you get the rest that you deserve while I read to you a horror classic. I promise it won't be too scary. If the podcast helps you sleep, please leave me a review, tell a friend, and subscribe. Also, check out my other podcast, Technically a Conversation, with my lovely co-hosts, Isela and Elena. A link will be in the show notes, or go to technicallyaconversation.com. We're going to tune out the outside world. That's the gentle rain and music you hear in the background. Hopefully... That'll be enough to drown out your neighbor's barking dog or the SWAT team breaking down your neighbor's door outside your window. This episode is going to be very short, but it's a great story. So make sure you put the episode on repeat or make a playlist of several episodes while we wait for the Sandman to come. Every time you find your mind drifting away, focus on my voice and on the story. With all that out of the way, let's get started. Make yourself comfortable in your bed. Flip that pillow around to the cool side and relax your breathing. Smear some Vicks under your nose and focus on how soft and cool your sheets are. Today, I'll be reading you The Vampire by Jan Neruda. The excursion steamer brought us from Constantinople to the shore of the island of Prinkipo, and we disembarked. The number of passengers was not large. There was one Polish family, a father, a mother, a daughter, and her bridegroom. And then we too. Oh yes, I must not forget that when we were already on the wooden bridge, which crosses the Golden Horn to Constantinople, a Greek a rather youthful man joined us. He was probably an artist, judging by the portfolio he carried under his arm. Long black locks floated to his shoulder. His face was pale, and his black eyes were deeply set in their sockets. From the first moment he interested me, especially for his obligingness and for his knowledge of local conditions. But he talked too much, and I then turned away from him. All the more agreeable was the Polish family. The father and mother were good-natured, fine people. The lover, a handsome young fellow, of direct and refined manners. They had come to Prinkipo to spend the summer months for the sake of the daughter, who was slightly ailing. The beautiful pale girl was either just recovering from a severe illness or else a serious disease was just fastening its hold upon her. She leaned upon her lover when she walked and very often sat down to rest, while a frequent dry little cough interrupted her whispers. Whenever she coughed, her escort would considerably pause in their walk. He always cast upon her a glance of sympathetic suffering, and she would look back at him as if she would say, It's nothing. I am happy. They believed in health and happiness. On the recommendation of the Greek, 
who departed from us immediately at the pier, the family secured quarters in the hotel on the hill. The hotel keeper was a Frenchman and his entire building was equipped comfortably and artistically according to the French style. We breakfasted together and when the noon heat had abated somewhat, we all betook ourselves to the heights, where in the grove of Siberian stone pines we could refresh ourselves with the view. Hardly had we found a suitable spot and settled ourselves when the Greek appeared again. He greeted us lightly, looked about and seated himself only a few steps from us. He opened his portfolio and began to sketch. I think he purposely sits with his back to the rocks so that we can't look at his sketch, I said. We don't have to, said the young Paul. We have enough before us to look at. After a while, he added, it seems to me he's sketching us in as a sort of background. Well, let him. We truly did have enough to gaze at. There is not a more beautiful or more happy corner in the world than that very principle. The political martyr, Irene, contemporary of Charles the Great, lived there for a month as an exile. If I could live a month of my life there, I would be happy for the memory of it for the rest of my days. I shall never forget even that one day spent at Principo. The air was as clear as a diamond, so soft, so caressing, that one's whole soul swung out upon it into the distance. At the right beyond the sea projected the brown Asiatic summits. To the left in the distance, purpled the steep coasts of Europe. The neighboring Halki, one of the nine islands of Prince Archipelago, rose with its cypress forest into the peaceful heights like a sorrowful dream, crowned by a great structure, an asylum for those whose minds are sick. The Sea of Marmora was but slightly ruffled and played in all the colors like a sparkling opal. In the distance, the sea was as white as milk, then rosy, between the two islands, a glowing orange, and below us, it was beautifully greenish blue, like a transparent sapphire. It was resplendent in its own beauty. Nowhere were there any large ships, only two small craft flying the English flag sped along the shore. One was a steamboat as big as a watchman's booth. The second had about 12 oarsmen, and when their oars rose simultaneously, molten silver dripped from them. Trustful dolphins started in and out among them and drove with long, arching flights above the surface of the water. Through the blue heavens now and then, calm eagles winged their way, measuring the space between two continents. The entire slope below us was covered with blossoming roses whose fragrance filled the air. From the coffee house near the sea, music was carried up to us through the clear air, hushed somewhat by the distance. The effect was enchanting. We all sat silent and steeped our souls completely in the picture of paradise. The young Polish girl lay on the grass with her head supported on the bosom of her lover. The pale oval of her delicate face was slightly tinged with soft color, and from her blue eyes tears suddenly gushed forth. 
the lover understood, bent down and kissed tear after tear. Her mother also was moved to tears, and I, even I, felt a strange twinge. Here mind and body both must get well, whispered the girl. How happy a land this is. God knows I haven't any enemies, but if I had, I would forgive them here, said the father in a trembling voice. And again we became silent. We were all in such a wonderful mood. So unspeakably sweet it all was. Each felt for himself a whole world of happiness, and each one would have shared his happiness with the whole world. All felt the same, and so no one disturbed another. We had scarcely even noticed the Greek, after an hour or so, had arisen, folded his portfolio, and with a slight nod had taken his departure. We remained. Finally, after several hours, when the distance was becoming overspread with a darker violet, so magically beautiful in the south, the mother reminded us it was time to depart. We arose and walked down towards the hotel with the easy, elastic steps that characterized carefree children. We sat down in the hotel under the handsome veranda. Hardly had we been seated when we heard below the sounds of quarreling and oaths. Our Greek was wrangling the hotel keeper, and for the entertainment of it, we listened. I beg you to tell me, sir, asked the young Pole of the approaching hotel keeper. Who is that gentleman? What's his name? Eh, who knows what that fellow's name is, grumbled the hotel keeper, and he gazed venomously downward. We call him the vampire. An artist? Fine trade. He sketches only corpses. Just as soon as someone in Constantinople or here in the neighborhood dies, that very day, he has a picture of the dead one completed. That fellow paints them beforehand, and he never makes a mistake, just like a vulture. The old Polish woman shrieked affrightedly. In her arm lay her daughter, pale as chalk. She had fainted. In one bound, the lover had leaped down the steps. With one hand, he seized the Greek, and with the other, reached for the portfolio. We ran down after him. Both men were rolling in the sand. The contents of the portfolio were scattered all about. On one sheet, sketched with a crayon, was the head of a young Polish girl, her eyes closed, and a wreath of myrtle on her brow. This concludes The Vampire by Jan Aruda. Stay tuned for next week's episode where we'll start a new story. If you enjoyed the podcast and it helped you sleep, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, and leave me a review. You can also follow me on all the socials at Scary Bedtime and listen to my other podcast, Technically a Conversation at technicallyaconversation.com. All the links will be in the show notes. Have a good night.